Good morning, everyone, and welcome to LifeBridge Online. I'm Pastor Bruce, and uh, man, we're just so glad that you're watching this morning again, and we appreciate you taking time to let us come into your living room and share God's Word with you. If this is your first time to watch online, or, or perhaps you're not part of our LifeBridge Church, man, thank you for watching and uh, welcome. We want you to know that we appreciate you taking time to be part of, of this online service. And uh, let us know that you're watching. One way you can do that is by filling out the connection card that's there in the comments section. It's an online connection card. So take some, a few minutes here in the beginning and fill that out as a way to let us know who you are. Let us know you're watching as someone who's maybe watching for the first time or not part of our church family. And uh, also, if you have a prayer need, man, we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. And so you can also let us know what your prayer need is by filling out the online connection card. And so please feel free to do that. And like every Sunday, as we uh, have our online services here and live streaming, we want to encourage you to, uh, to like and share this out on your Facebook post and uh, with your friends, and just you're welcome to comment along the way too, and uh, and so we're just excited to be able to share God's word with you here this morning. I'm also super excited to welcome back John Mag uh, to provide some music again this morning, and uh, as you might, if you were watching last Sunday, John sang a couple songs, and uh, we just had such a positive feedback with that, and so John. Man, come and bless us again with uh, a couple of more songs that he's going to sing. We pray and trust that this will uh, just encourage your soul, lift up your spirits in preparation for worship of the Word of God. But now we want to worship in song. And so, John, come and bless us. Thanks, Bruce. And thank you, friends, for the response last week. I know I appreciated it. A couple songs this morning, one of which you guys know, one you may not. Um, So as always, worship along as you feel led to do so. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Takes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder. The King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross You laid down your life That I would be set free Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me Who brings our chaos back into order a son and daughter, the King of glory, the King of glory, who rules 
the nations with truth and justice shines like the sun in all of its brilliance the king of glory the king above all kings hail this is amazing grace this is unfailing love that you would take my place that you would bear my cross, you laid down your life, that I would be set free, oh, Jesus I sing for all that you've done for me. King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Oh, worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Oh, worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Unfailing love, that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross, and you laid down your life, that I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done. This next one is one you might have heard on something if you listen to K-Love or any of those radio stations, Spotify, so forth. Um, but the focus of this one is is strictly grace. It's the fact that God's grace is available at all times for all people to all of us. And um, especially now, in many ways, it's what still sustains us. Grace finds me 
was awesome thank you so much john appreciate you coming back and ministering to us with song and if you enjoyed that if that encouraged your heart and blessed you in any way man let us know in the comments there as you're watching this and uh, we would really appreciate your feedback and uh, even throughout the sermon here comment and uh, again just want to encourage you to like this uh, and share it out on, and it, it would just does a really good job in helping us to get God's word out to different people, and uh, and so to be impacted by the power of God's word. In fact, if you have God's word, I want to invite you to grab your copy of the scriptures, and so uh, grab your Bible, and uh, we're going to turn for our scripture reading to Ruth, Ruth chapter one, and uh, for our scripture reading this morning. Ruth chapter 1, and we're going to look at the first six verses here, verses 1 through 6. And so if you have a copy of the scriptures, and uh, turn into your Bibles there, Ruth chapter 1. Notice what it says as I read it here. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malin 
and Chilion. They were Ephraites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malin and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Would you bow your heads with me? I know you're at home, maybe sitting on your couch, or maybe at a desk, wherever you might be. Uh, And so I want to invite you to uh, just bow your heads, and let's go to the Lord in prayer for a moment here as we begin to uh, look at this passage of Scripture here in Ruth. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we ask for your help. We ask that you would meet with us in a mighty way. And that, Lord, your word, this story here, this historical true story would... uh, would just make a difference in our own lives as we unpack it and we make application of it. And so help us to see the grace that you offer to us through these characters and how we can have a part in that as well. And so, Lord, speak to us through your word here even now, we ask in your name. Amen. Well, last Sunday, we started a brand new series here in the book of Ruth called Finding Hope in a Fallen World. Now, the book of Ruth shows us that when everything appears to be hopeless, God is still faithful. Although the storyline here in the book of Ruth uh, really revolves around three main characters. We have Noomi, Ruth, and Boaz. God is the main character as he works through the human characters to advance his redeeming grace. And so the book of Ruth is really all about finding hope in a fallen world. And like we said last Sunday, who here doesn't need a little bit of hope? In fact, a a whole lot of hope. All of us do. In fact, as people living in a fallen world, as, as people now living in a pandemic world, listen, none of us are immune to disappointment and despair. None of us are immune even to disease and death. And so that brings us to the whole theme of the book of Ruth here. Notice it. It's to find hope in a fallen world, we need to turn to God. If we're going to find hope in a fallen world, then turn to the Lord. Why? Because God is at work in the worst of times. Now, all of us are traveling on a road through life. And on that road, there are defining moments and even key crossroads along the way on the one hand there are certain times when we are defined by the choices that we make in life will we choose the path everyone else is taking or will we choose the road less traveled as it's been said on the other hand there are also times when it seems that we are defined by the choices that life has made for us these are the occasions when life gives us no choice at all, but kind of thrust us down the path that we would never choose for ourselves. I mean, think about it. No one chooses the loss of a job. No one chooses cancer. No one chooses a a crippling accident. No one chooses, we might even say, where we are at now in life, the coronavirus. And yet, these two can be defining moments in life. And so all of us 
are on a journey through life. In other words, we are on a road that is heading towards some destination. And the question is, where are you going? The opening verses here in the book of Ruth is the story of one family's journey on the road to nowhere, as well as the fallout of traveling down that road. This first chapter of Ruth shows us that our choices have consequences, both good and bad. However, our lives are so much more than just the consequences of the decisions that we make and the events that have occurred in our lives. There is this mysterious X factor that is evident here in the book of Ruth, a factor that has the power to even change our lives. That X factor is called the grace of God. Now, that grace is not always evident to us, but it is always working according to God's sovereign purposes. And ultimately, the grace of God is the defining X factor in our lives. This is why, if you want to find hope in a fallen world, we must turn to God, because God's grace is at work in the worst of times. But how many times do we find ourselves on the road to nowhere before we actually turn to God to find hope? There was, this is where one family found themselves here at the beginning of chapter 1 in the book of Ruth. They were on the road to nowhere as a result of a choice at a key crossroad in their lives. Now, perhaps that's where you find yourself today, on the road to nowhere. Well, let's travel this road and let's see where it leads. And the road to nowhere oftentimes begins with a choice. And in the book of Ruth here, we find that that choice was to flee or to run to Moab. Now, certain words are just devastating to hear, such as, I'm sorry, but you have cancer. Or, the company has made a decision to downsize, and we're now letting you go. Or, we did everything we could, but I'm sorry to let you know he just didn't make it. Certain words are devastating to hear. The book of Ruth opens with some devastating words. As the story zooms in on one particular family's trials and tragedies. The story begins with a man named Elimelech, his wife Naomi, and their two sons, Malin and Chilion. Names kind of sound like cool Star Trek names, but I really don't recommend naming your boys this. Anyways, the family lives in Bethlehem, which we saw last Sunday means the house of bread. And it seems at this point that everything is wonderful. But then verse 1 says there was a famine in the land of Bethlehem. So now there is no bread in the house of bread and everything is not so wonderful anymore. Perhaps that's why the son's names literally mean sick and dying. That's like naming your boy swine flu and coronavirus. So why was there a famine in the land? 
Well, again, last Sunday we saw that this physical famine in the land of Bethlehem was actually the result of a spiritual famine in the days when the judges ruled. And what was that spiritual famine? What was that spiritual condition of God's people in the days when the judges ruled? Well, you back up one book and we find that according to Judges 21-25, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes instead of doing what was right in God's eyes. And so, as a result, God sends a famine as a warning that something was wrong spiritually, and even as a wake-up call to his people to get things right with him. As Eon Campbell writes, part of the purpose of this famine was to renew obedience of God's people. It was the voice of God speaking loudly to the souls of his people, calling them to repent and return to him. And so this family is standing at a crossroad in life as they face this famine in their land. And in this defining moment, the dad, the husband, Elimelech, has a choice to make, a road to choose. Does he remain in Bethlehem where there is no bread and people are starving to death? And turn to God and trust him to provide for his family? Or does he do what is right in his own eyes and move to the land of Moab in search of food? So what road did Elimelech choose? Well, instead of turning back to the Lord, Elimelech turned his back on the Lord to live in the land of Moab. Now, the bigger question here is, well, what is wrong with Moab? What's wrong with relocating there or moving your family there? After all, Elimelech has a family to feed. And they were possibly on the verge of starving to death as a result of this famine. So what else could he do? What was he supposed to do? Stay in Bethlehem and watch his family die as a result of a famine? So what was wrong with moving to the land of Moab? After all, Moab is only 50 miles east across the Dead Sea. But listen to what God says about Moab in Psalm 60, verse 8. He says, Moab is my washbowl. And so poetically speaking, God is saying, Moab is the place where I wash the dirt and grime off my feet. Moab Moab is my washtub. Now, what does that mean? And why would God even say such a thing about Moab? Well, for starters, the Moabites were descendants of Lot from an incestuous relationship with his own daughter. You can read about this in Genesis 19, where she gave birth to a son named Moab, and from that boy came the Moabites. Now, the Moabites, later on in history, actually hired Balaam to curse God's people, to curse Israel, instead of giving them food and water when they came out of Egypt. You can read about that in Numbers chapter 22 through 25. And later on, the Moabite women seduced the Israelite men into immorality and idolatry when Israel was wandering around the wilderness, according to Numbers 22. Furthermore, 
Israel was forbidden by God from doing anything with the Moabites according to Deuteronomy 23. So what then could possibly justify Elimelech's decision to move his family to Moab? Why would he turn his back on God's clear commands in the scriptures? Well, it's pretty simple, really. His family needed food. And so Elimelech took them where the food was. Now, we can certainly sympathize with a man wanting to provide for his family. But is that how we should see this? And the answer is no. In fact, one uh, commentary puts it this way. Don't think that Elimelech's sojourn to Moab is merely the innocent migration of an Israelite family in search of food. It can't be. Redemptive history has progressed. Israel is now in the land of promise. That is the promised land, the land that God gave to his people where he would dwell with them and they would be his people and where he would bless them as long as they would follow him and worship him as the one true God. Rather, see, we should see Elimelech's decision here as another example of the times when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Here's the point. Elimelech was seeking temporary relief from temporary suffering without any regard for the spiritual well-being of his family. Does Moab sound like a place to go to raise a family? No. Remember, God told his people don't have anything to do with the Moabites. They were considered wicked and immoral people. And so Moab is the last place where God's people are to live. And yet Moab is the first place where Elimelech chooses to relocate his family. So Elimelech turns his back on God and relocates his family to Moab. Now, this journey at first, it seems to be just a quick drive through in search of food. But then we read at the end of verse 2. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. And we know from verse 4, they remained there for 10 years. It now seems they feel more at home in the land of compromise than the land of promise. Now, before we move on, I want you to notice something else. I want you to see the sad irony of Elimelech's choice here to turn his back on God and to move to Moab. You see, Elimelech's name literally means, my God is king. Yet he makes a life-defining decision that revealed that God was not his king. You see, because God was his king in name only and not truly in his heart, Elimelech chose to do what was best In his own eyes. Instead of turning to God and trusting God to provide, Elimelech took matters into his own hands and moved to Moab. Instead of mourning over the sins of the people and asking God to restore them and restore the land, he and his family left the fields of Bethlehem for the fields of Moab. 
The tragedy of Elimelech's story here is that he heard the voice of the king speaking, but he did not obey the voice of the king. Remember, the famine was God's wake-up call to repent and return to God. But instead of turning back to God, he turned his back on God. Now, why did he do that? Why did he leave Bethlehem in the promised land? Well, one reason is Moab had bread and Bethlehem did not. Elimelech is now reasoning this out in his own mind. And he is, in a sense, saying to himself, we need bread and we need it now. God's nowhere to be found in this famine. He can't be trusted to provide anything for us. And so he takes his wife and family to Moab looking for bread. But Elimelech, get this, understand this, he is addressing the wrong problem. And he's ignoring the real problem at hand. You see, the problem was not the lack of bread. That's the surface problem. The real problem, the the underneath problem, the core problem, was the lack of worship of the one true God of Israel. You see, Elimelech is running from the real problem. He's not waiting for God's bread. He's not going to God in repentance of his own heart and life. Instead, he's going to Moab's bread. He's just walking by sight instead of by faith. Now, as we step back from the road that Elimelech chose, he serves as a rather tragic example of a man who didn't count the spiritual cost of relocating his family to Moab. You see, he failed to consider that when he made this decision for his family, he was mortgaging their future. And like so many men do, even in our culture today, he simply counted the financial costs, the physical costs, and ignored the spiritual cost of this decision. And as a result of relocating to Moab, Elimelech implicated his wife and his sons in his tragic decision to turn his back from God and to turn to his own ways of figuring this problem out. Now, There's consequences, as we said, to every choice we make in life, good and bad. So what are the consequences of Elimelech's choice here to abandon the promised land for Moab? Well, the consequences is death. We see death in Moab. The road to Moab turned out to be the road to nowhere. And that reality, while not immediately apparent, of course, but then it rarely is. You see, at first, it seemed as if Elimelech made the logical choice because God's people were suffering. They were hungry back home in Bethlehem. There was food in Moab, though. And so in the beginning, Elimelech was able now to provide for his family. And it wasn't long before Moab became home. And everything seems good again on the surface. But then suddenly, tragedy strikes. And this family finds themselves trading famines for funerals. 
What we see here in the beginning of this story now is that Elimelech died in Moab. And then 10 years later, both his sons died in Moab. Look what it says in verse 3. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. He what? He died. Why did Elimelech move to Moab in the first place? So he wouldn't die. But what did he do in Moab? He died. Moral of the story is death is in God's hands, not ours. We are not in control of our lives. And if anything, this pandemic, this coronavirus, ought to remind us of that very truth. You see, we don't know how Elimelech died. Was it old age? Did he die of a heart attack? Did he get hit by a camel? Or was it simply God's judgment on his life? We simply don't know. And this is so typical of our life, isn't it? Something happens. Why? Silence. God doesn't tell us. We know everything we need to know, but we rarely know everything we want to know. And that's why we must live by faith and trust God. Now, life goes on for the rest of Elimelech's family. As we know, life doesn't just stop because somebody passes away. Look what it says in verses 3 and 4. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left in her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. And so just when you think it cannot get any worse for this woman, Naomi, look what happens next now in verse 5. Then both Malin and Chilion also died. They what? They died too. Again, why did Elimelech move to Moab? So that he and his sons, his family, would not die. But what happened? They died. And where did they die? That is not by accident. They died in Moab. Now, this story is about as bleak and as dark and as hopeless as it can possibly get here in the beginning. I mean, can you think of anything worse than burying your own children? Here in Moab, Naomi experiences a nightmare, a triple bereavement. She first buries her husband, and then later she buries her only two sons before she even got grandchildren. So as we try to make application of all this for us even now today, what are some of the consequences that we might experience ourselves as a result of wrong choices. Choices that do not honor God. Well, number one, notice this, wrong choices often bring difficulty in life. This was certainly true for Elimelech's family, and it's true for us as well. And yet I, I marvel as a pastor when people make wrong choices and then act shocked when difficulty comes into their life. It's almost as if we think that God should just bless us in spite of that. 
in spite of our wrong choices, which brings us to number two, wrong choices often limit God's blessings in life. Listen, wrong choices have a way of short-circuiting God's blessings in your life. Listen, God wants to bless you. God is not a killjoy, but God cannot and will not bless you when you are living apart from him in the, quote, land of Moab. God says, you're not in my will. You're not honoring me with your life. How can I bless you in the land of Moab? Get right with me. Repent of your choices, of your sin, and then I will begin to bless you. And then number three we see here. The wrong choices often cause even bitterness toward God. Now, we'll look more into detail on this next Sunday. But Naomi describes her own bitterness when she says later on in chapter 1 here of Ruth in verse 20, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Now, that's a play on words. It's a play on Naomi's name and the meaning of her name. Because Naomi's name means pleasant or sweet. But she was so full of pain, so full of sorrow now, that she says, don't call me pleasant. Don't call me sweet. Call me bitter. Listen, it is a terrible thing to get bitter toward God. Because where do you turn if you're bitter toward God? There's no other place to turn. God is the only one who can heal you and bless you. And if you turn against God, if you shut God off, then you have nowhere to turn and you just dry up inside and become this bitter old person. There's no doubt. Our hearts grieve with Naomi. Naomi's world came crashing down around her on the road to nowhere. After two weddings and three funerals, notice the circumstances that she now finds herself in. And that is grief. Grief in Noah. Now some of the most heartbreaking words in this whole story are found at the end of verse 5. When it says, Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Now just think about that. Because that is a picture of absolute devastation, desolation, and desperation. I don't know about you, but one thing I appreciate about this is I appreciate the brutal honesty of God's word here. I absolutely love the fact that the Bible talks about life with the same degree of pain and heartache and grief that people experience even today. And I'm sure you can imagine the grief of Naomi and her her two daughters-in-law attending three funerals. Notice this. Naomi is an elderly widow who is all alone in a foreign land, while Ruth and Orpah are now childless widows without any hope. Just think about Naomi's circumstances. She is now left penniless, and she is left destitute. Naomi is a stranger in a strange land. 
She's an aging, widowed woman of no significance in a family-oriented culture with no one to care for her and no one to care about her. She has no husband now to protect her and to provide for her. She has no sons. And consequently, she has no social standing and no hope to carry on her family line. And perhaps even now, you can identify just a little bit, perhaps a whole lot, with Naomi's grief and heartache and pain. I'm sure we all can identify with what Naomi needs most now, right now. And that is hope. Hope that just will sweep across her life. And I think it's safe to say the choice to leave Bethlehem for Moab was the road to nowhere. Listen, it was a road filled with difficulty, a road filled with death and even devastating grief. And now Naomi is facing her own defining moment in her life. Listen, it was a time for her now to make a choice. How will she respond to such heartache and grief and tragedy? Well, her defining moment, it brings us to a beautiful truth that can give us hope and even change our own lives. You see, no matter where you are, no matter how far you roam from God, the road back home begins by turning back to God. This is where hope and grace is found. Now, Naomi has been away from home for a long time, 10 years. Her husband and sons are now dead. But listen to me, God is not dead. God is at work even in the worst of times. And we see this in verse 6. Look at it with me. Look what happens next. It says, Then she, speaking about Naomi, she arose with her daughters-in-law to do what? To return from the country of Moab. Why? For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. This is the turning point in Naomi's life. In fact, this is the turning point in the whole book of Ruth. And this can be the turning point in your life. The road home always begins with a return to God, with a turning back to the Lord. And so just when you think that all hope is lost, listen, God is at work. God, it says, has visited his people and given them food. Now, that is the grace of God at work. God was gracious to Naomi. Think about this. He gave her the opportunity to hear what God was doing in the land that she left. When she was in the fields of Moab, she heard what God was doing over here. And God now gives her the opportunity to turn back to him, to return home. This is the defining X factor of God's grace at work in her life. And when Naomi heard that God was at work, what did she do? 
Did she wait around thinking about it, praying about what to do? No way. It says she arose and returned back home. And you get the idea that she did so with urgency. Why? Because the road home to God is where grace and hope are found. Do you know what this means? It means no matter how far you roam from God, the road home begins by turning to the Lord. It means no matter what you have done and how long you have done it, God offers you grace and forgiveness. God gives you the opportunity to return home to him. And so as we close out this section here in the book of Ruth, let me ask you just a couple of questions here. Have you drifted away from God? Or maybe you've even moved away from God. So is it time in your own life, as you evaluate where you are in relation to the Lord, is it time for you to wake up to the reality of your own situation and turn back to the Lord? I just love what God says in Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. It says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Again, are you on the road to nowhere? Remember, the road home begins by turning back to God. This is where we find hope. This is where we find grace. God is always at work in the worst of times. And you may evaluate your life. You may see where you're at now and think, man, it can't get any worse. But I'm telling you, God is at work. And he wants to work in your life if you will simply humble yourself and turn to him. He will offer you his grace and mercy and forgiveness. But we must respond to him. We must choose now to return to him. I want to invite you to bow your heads right where you're sitting, watching, whatever. And let's just go to the Lord in prayer and close this time out. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are at work in the worst of times. And that we can always turn to you in the worst of times for hope. Lord, forgive us for trying to live life on our own. Forgive us for trying to reason out our own logic for decisions apart from you. Forgive us for not turning to you and relying on you as the source of life and hope. And help us even now and in the weeks ahead to lean in on you, to turn to you for hope and grace and forgiveness. And to trust you and rejoice in your perfect sovereign goodness and to give you all the praise and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man, I so appreciate you. Once again, allow me to bring to you God's word, especially here in the book of Ruth. Obviously, next Sunday we will continue on, and we will actually take a few minutes next Sunday to look at uh, Naomi's returning home and uh, just how she moves from Moab to Bethlehem and how God works in her own heart as she responded to the Lord. Our mission here at LifeBridge 
is to bridge the gap with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our, our heart's desire, our passion, and our prayers is truly to see more people trust Jesus as their Savior and follow Him as their King. And if you need help, if you have questions about what that means, or wherever you might be in that journey to Jesus Christ, man, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to help you along the way. And again, you can fill out the online connection card. Let us know who you are, what your need is, and uh, just reach out to us, and we're available for you. One way that you as a church family can help us in our mission is by giving financially in order to continue the mission of LifeBridge. And we fully understand that, uh, boy, during the midst of this pandemic, uh, some people have been affected in the sense they maybe have lost their jobs, hours maybe been cut, they've lost income. And, and so, you know, I know uh, we're all at different levels when it comes to our finances. And so whatever you might be able to give to LifeBridge to help us uh, continue on in our mission and ministries is so appreciative. And we appreciate, I just want to say as your pastor, thank you for your faithful giving these last five Sundays. Uh, our giving has not really plateaued at all, and it's been a work of God in your hearts as you have been faithful and diligent to give, and, and I'm so appreciative of that. Thank you, thank you so very much. You know, obviously one way to give is online, and many of you have taken that step to, to give online, especially during this time when we can't meet in person, and I just want to encourage you and say thank you for that. Uh, obviously, you can continue to uh, mail in your, your giving as well, and that's perfectly all right and fine to do so. And so uh, if you have any questions, if you have any needs, don't hesitate to contact the LifeBridge office. We are here to serve you in the midst of this pandemic. We want you to know that we really do care. In fact, you might f- find yourself in a place of, of need uh, where you are in need of, of some food assistance or even some financial assistance. Listen, Reach out to us. Let us know. We want to help you bridge the gap, whether that be with some food or financial assistance. And just contact us. Let us know. And uh, we're here for you. We want to help you in any way we can. And so um, I appreciate you once again letting me come into your homes through this live stream. We'll be back next Sunday online, uh, 1045, as we continue in the Book of Ruth. And so I hope you'll make plans to to uh, watch online again next Sunday. In the meantime, man, stay strong in the Lord. God bless.